You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 455 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined today by Mr. Seth Miller. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Mr. Smoke Alarm. I think yeah, you're, yeah, let's hear the story here. Um, smoke alarms work, even though they're annoying and have false alarms from time to time. You should always pay attention to them. Uh, our kitchen had some smoke in it. I was in the basement working, and I have had a habit of setting off our smoke alarms from the basement doing woodworking stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew it wasn't me, or it wasn't that, or I was pretty sure it wasn't that, but the alarm went off the other day. I came upstairs and asked my wife, hey, is the house on fire? She said, no, I don't think so. And I looked over, and I was like, well, not yet. And <laughs> and then we turned turned off the stovetop, and we were fine. Did you just leave something on the stove? Not, yeah. Not thinking about it? Yeah. I've had that happen. So, um, but you know... I. A, it's fun to post silly things like that on social media and get people to freak out. B, good reminder that smoke detectors are really a thing, and you should check and make sure yours are working. How much How much smoke did it produce before it went off? Like, how much was it, it in the was house? It was very thin. Mm-hmm. Like, and when I first came upstairs, I didn't see it immediately. But when, you know, after we turned everything off, like, you know, she said, God, is it really even any smoke? I sort of looked across the kitchen and it's sort of a relatively open space. So I was like, yeah, I can see the, like, haze in the room here now. Yeah, it's, I mean, we've had, we've set off ours once or twice, I think, yeah. and looking from, like, the kitchen into, like, the living room with, like, light behind it, you could see, like, the smoke yeah. r- kind of hovering up high, yeah. and then when you open a window, you're like, oh, yeah, it was definitely smoke. Yeah, <laughs> the other thing I'll say is, like, we don't have one in our kitchen because we cook a lot, and, yep. like, we do make smoke in there on purpose from time to time, so it took a little longer for it to go and, like, get to one of the other ones, but yep. anyway, all good. Glad you, glad they worked. Yes, me too. Um, there was an incident last night. Uh, we actually had a friend on the flight. Uh, it was an Alaska Airlines flight uh, from Everett Painfield down to San Francisco, and it ended up uh, diverting uh, to Portland. And uh, turns out that there was a non-rev pilot on board in the cockpit, creating yep. an in- creating a problem. Yeah. So Horizon Air operated E one seventy five for Alaska Airlines. Uh, the report is that the passenger on the jump seat who we now believe is a pilot um, and his name is in a court record or a booking record now um, tried to discharge the fire suppression system on the engines during mm-hmm. the flight and you know that sort of shuts them down so losing both engines at cruise would be pretty bad I wonder how they prevented it like I want more details <laughs> I, I'm sure that it will well not sure but it seems likely that some of that will come out if there's a court case for sure but uh, yeah, it's, this was crazy. Not good. Yeah. Yeah. Very it's, good. it's wild. Um, and good on the pilots for, yeah, they got him out of the flight deck. It's also, I will say, you know, our friend who has been on one or two shows, been a long time, um, who was on board kind of didn't notice what was happening until the diversion started. Yeah. Didn't realize that, you know, the guy in question had been moved to the rear galley and had been detained, restrained back there. Yeah. So, in some ways, very, and I don't know how raucous it was in, during the incident. So, some ways, in a lot of ways, very good to see how professionally it was handled by the pilots. Also, I am always reminded during an incident like this when listening to the ATC recordings how smooth and calm and professional everybody's voice is during what could, could, should seems to be a most harrowing experience. Like the pilots are talking, like, yep, yeah, he tried to, he, we just, you know. The guy who tried to shut down, shut down the engines is out of the flight deck now. We're fine. Uh, he doesn't need to be causing much trouble in the back. Just have police meet us when we get on the ground. Uh, we're going to go ahead and divert now. Like, it didn't sound stressed at all. I can't imagine I would be able to maintain that level of composure. But well, I think that's what, that's what we want from pilots. Right? Yeah. Like, 
Oh, no, I love it every time, but it's a good reminder. Yeah, I I was trying to look up. I'm trying to do like a quick search on where the fire suppression is on the E175. It's up on the. It looks like it's on the ceiling. Yeah, it's just pretty normal. But there's a T selector and a switch appears, and then there's buttons that you push. So there's like a there's like a, like a cover over it. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I would I would be interested to know more on how they stopped him from actually doing it, or did he just say he wanted to do it? I don't know. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it it sounds like it was an attempt. A legit attempt, so I don't know. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, and then other news. Uh, Qatar Airways. A little bit of a shakeup. Yeah, Akbar's out. Wild. It is. Um, so he is going to be, he will no longer be group CEO as of November 5th, which is very soon. Um, I will say it comes as something of a surprise in many ways. However, it, last month, he also was at the Apex Expo in Long Beach and received a Lifetime Achievement Award. And it's a little weird to give someone a Lifetime Achievement Award if they're not, you know, ending their career. Yeah. So that probably was a hint. And then the next day after the dinner where he got the award, he was on stage for an interview. And amongst the many, he had 15 minutes on stage with a guy from BBC. And the guy from BBC who was interviewing had interviewed him many times before. And they had a good banter, good back and forth. It was actually... One of the more enjoyable interviews. He's a, he does he gives great interviews. I mean, losing him to the, for out of the industry is sad for me in that regard. Um, but one of the thing he said, the last question of the interview was essentially, "Do you ever think about walking away?" Hmm. Uh, hey, I got to. Li- uh, so, what's left on your question? What's left on your aviation bucket list? I mean, is there any time when you're thinking of hanging up the hat? Answer: Yes, I would like to, but I'm not being allowed to. You- you know, I'm a civil servant and at the service of my country, and I'll be there as long as I'm required. I mean, is he saying he was pushed out? So, was he pushed out? Was this just that he sort of knew the writing was on the wall? I also got to ask him a follow-up question after the interview, and he, his answer was, not as long as I'm here in charge, to a question about some seating changes. So, there's some very, right, those are three different hints, right? Like, why would he say, not while I'm in charge, as opposed to, no. If he knew he wasn't, le- if he didn't know he was leaving, so I think this has been growing for some time, much more than we probably recognized or knew. Mm-hmm. But yes, it's interesting. You know, he at that same interview started off and talking about sort of the history of the airline and how it was founded and how it got into where it is. And he was quite blunt, noting that he bullshitted the competition for third, you know, for five or ten years until they were big enough to stand on their own. And he used the word bullshitted. Um, <laughs> It was great. Uh, again, though, he he always in I've always found that when he's doing unscripted interviews, he is more personable and more casual in his words and whatnot. But you typically don't say bullshit in an interview, whether for positive or negative, unless you don't plan on doing many more of them. Hmm. So, again, a lot, lot of little hints there. Or maybe I'm reading too much into it, you know, hindsight 2020 and all that. But he for better or, you know, in good ways and in bad, absolutely changed the landscape of this industry. I mean, he, yeah. he oversaw the development of the airline in a way that, you know, the the seats, Q-suite and otherwise, um, dramatic changes uh, for the industry. Route Network trying to do things like the, was it Air Italy or whatever, where they mm-hmm. tried to do some of those things. Like, not, not, not all successful, not all perfect, but did all the tra- What they're trying to do in Australia? Yeah, trying to get more <laughs> flights into Australia. Which, 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 when you look at it, when you look at it from a uh, trying to be a successful business 
not necessarily neg- a negative thing that they're doing there, right? Yeah. But it's, I think, Qantas has a different opinion. But yeah, the limited plots and their ghost flights thing that we talked about a little while back. Um, yeah. Really interesting things there. I mean, he he also like you know has picked fights with suppliers seemingly for fun. I mean, obviously, there's real business compelling reasons to demand that the product you get is actually what was contracted. Um, yep. Sometimes airlines are willing to accept make good payments or other things. Sometimes they just play an off bar and demand perfection. Uh, I think we joked a while back was he was yelling at Boeing about not having the triple seven X or the max ready on time. And the ground is seven, eight and the seven, eight, seven buildings were backed up while also filing a lawsuit against Airbus because they couldn't get the three fifties with the paint stuff. Um, and then making it a situation of, well, he's, he's now out of choices. So how you know, how much can you fight with your vendors in public before, you sort of run out. Yeah. But again, you know, he's had the advantageous position of being someone who everybody wanted to have him say, yes, your product is good. We are going to use it. Hmm. Right. So it's, it's, it was a great position to be in for him. Do you, I mean, from a, from a performance perspective, Cutter's been doing reasonably well. I think like COVID of course took its hit, but have they recovered? I thought they had. Yeah. And you know, Performance is a weird thing to measure for depending on the operating environment, let's say, mm. right? The the challenges, the staffing and regulatory challenges vary wildly by where you are. And so that is going to play into that a little bit. But yes, they never really shut down the airline. They took on they took some significant losses, but they kept flying repatriation flights. Um, they had the advantage of having the very long haul, very global network and serving a lot of the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The labor, the labor markets out of South South Asia, the diaspora. Yeah, more than diaspora though, like the migrant workers. That's the one. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, a lot of the migrant worker environment, and so when you had seafarers, guys working on you know container ships all over the world that suddenly had to get home before borders closed or after borders closed, they were willing. They still had the planes in the air. They knew they could get some money from continuing to operate them. They could keep their staff in place, and they were willing to do the legwork on the regulatory stuff. And keep it moving, even if it wasn't as pro- you know truly profitable. And he said, actually, in this interview, uh, one of the interviews uh, in Long Beach a couple weeks ago, that basically he knew he knew it was bad to keep going, but it would have been worse to shut down. And so he took the lesser of two evils. Hmm. Wow. Um, so yeah, um, I, I think in that sense, in many ways, I'm sad to see him go. Uh, he's always given a good interview. He's like, so I love him and his extemporaneous speaking, his prepared remarks are usually pretty terrible, but yeah, you, you, you like the off the cuff stuff. Yeah. And he's good at it. He, he also like love him or hate him. He knows the industry very well. He understands the economics of it. He has, you know, 27 years of being CEO and he started with five planes or whatever. And now they're, re- they're a real global player. Do you, I mean, it's early to know, but do you think who replaces him? Like, do you have any idea? Uh, they've announced that it's the chief operating officer of the airport authority. Or the airport. That seems like a great idea. Yeah. Uh, can you send sarcasm? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I don't know the person, but chief yeah. operating officer of an airport is a very different beast than a you know CEO of an airline. Yeah. Because uh, uh, I'm uh, Badr Mohammed Almir is the guy's okay. name. So. And when does he take over? November fifth. Wow. Okay. I'll have to keep an eye on it. Yeah. It's gonna be interesting. Yeah. Um. Delta has uh, kind of put the brakes on and even gone backwards a little bit on what they were announcing. 
for the loyalty changes. Yeah, there's some really interesting stuff here. Um, and I don't know. They, they so we talked about they were going to restrict the number of visits you could have to the lounge. That's back down a little bit. They went from ten to fifteen. Mm-hmm. I think six to ten for the platinum card, ten to fifteen for the reserve card. Um, the qualifying tiers are all a thousand dollars cheaper now. And I guess diamond is a little more than a thousand. It goes from thirty-five to twenty-eight. I'm uh, sorry, it's thousand dollars at the base level. It's uh, fifteen to twenty percent cheaper. So that's good uh, for most passengers, I guess. There, but also they took away the uh, the option for rental car and hotel spend booked through the Delta portal to count, which you may recall mm-hmm. our conversation last time around the original changes. And I'm, you know, whether I'm a fan or not, basically my 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 theory there is. If you want to own the consumer journey, you give credit for them booking with you and you sort of drive some of that loyalty through and admittedly knowing that most corporate travelers won't, but there's a decent sizable population of people who probably will get, you know, backing that off is actually a surprising change to me. So they're going to allow it from anywhere then, like the earning from anywhere. No, well, no, the loyalty points, I mean, you, it's not like American's business program where you have to book it on at American. Oh, okay. But yep. the, one of the, the original plan was if you booked a hotel or a rental car through the Delta website, through their third party affiliates, you got loyalty points for the MQDs for that. Mm-hmm. Now you won't anymore. So yes, the rate oh. prices are not quite as bad as they were, but the earning potential or opportunities I think has decreased more than the required qualification has. I'm not so like I, it's a give back, but with a takeaway, you know, a take back also. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right, you you would never book your hotel through Delta just to get the MQDs. I might, depending if the price is similar and I needed them. Like, I and you, didn't, and you didn't care about status with the hotel or whatever. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what I mean. Yeah, it's, but now there's no re- you're not going to get the bonus for it, so there's no real reason to do it. If the yes, yeah, now I'm going to go for where I get a cash back or something else instead. Yeah. Um. So that's interesting. The other interesting bit about it is the lifetime stuff. Um, their life, the lifetime qualifications got way better for travelers. And so I'm trying to pull it up here. I think million miler used to be silver for life is now gold. Two million is platinum, previously gold. Three million is diamond, previously gold. Four million is also diamond, previously platinum. Five million is delta 360 which was previously platinum and 6 million or more is also 360, but was previously diamond. So right, right. Previously continental made a big, was kind of an outlier when it made million miler gold instead of silver, the second tier instead of the first and American and Delta didn't follow United kept it when they did the merger was one of the few small wins for passengers across both programs. Um, putting aside the whole, you don't get CR ones anymore. Uh, Um, but Delta here now giving a much better status for million mile lifetime is, I think, a nice win for those consumers. I'm trying to think. I mean, it's an up, it's an upgrade for consumers, but Delta's num- overall numbers for year to year spend still seem kind of high to to qualify. I don't know. Yes, like I, I think the I think the lifetime is is attainable. Like it's it's kind of like United's, right? Like four million is global services, I think, um, and I think I think it's attainable by Delta flyers, but I think the year to year spend is it's pricey. Very high. Yeah. No, and it is. Again, I think losing the access to the sort of third party spend to get there is a bummer. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I think that's going to ding people. I mean, maybe they should have brought those numbers down a bit more for the third, since yeah. they're not including third-party spend. But. Yeah, the other thing they're doing, though, is Cobra and Card, at least this year, is starting with 2,500 MQDs. Okay. So it's a little bit of a give back. A um, tiny one. Certainly helps you to silver. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, listen, I mean, I don't know. So $7,500 in airfare, plus, or actual airfare, not excluding taxes, right? Plus yeah. a card gets you to gold. It's it's still a lot. Yeah. Um, but better. it's a little better than it was, at least raw numbers-wise, for most people. Um, yep. What was the other thing that was, I have that I just saw in here? Oh, there was a... They changed the way they're doing rollover MQMs. So they basically said that originally it was whatever you have in rollover just becomes MQDs at a terrible rate and we'll move on. And it turns out that there was a bit of uh, backlash from people who have been stockpiling rollover MQMs. And I didn't realize how many, but uh, mm. I learned uh, we have family friends, uh, my parents' family friends, who had been saving up a whole bunch of their rollovers, hoping to extend status for several years. And the new rule will be 100,000 MQMs, <clears throat> rollover MQMs, uh, per year to keep whatever status you currently have. Hmm. So, or you can convert them to MQDs at 10 to 1. Now, obviously, if, so you can either get like one year of really high status or potentially hold your silver or gold, whatever you have today, maybe even if you have platinum, for several years. The awkward there is like, a hundred thousand becomes ten thousand MQDs with the new conversion rate. Yep. So, at some level, like how much are you paying for silver status? Also, it's dependent on what you have today. So you can't like if I had silver today, I couldn't roll over extras to have gold next year. I have to get to gold first to keep it. Yeah. So um, interesting. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the, I think the million mile thing, especially for lounge access, Sky Family Plus. Yep. Um, unless you're flying on Delta Metal. At a Sky Club because gold still don't get that in coach on Sky Clubs. Because... Oh, I mean, it's it's just like United, right? It's just well, like no, no, Sky even Club. international. Remember, United Delta pulled that benefit away. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. So, um, but other than that, yeah, I, listen, I he said they went too far. They're gonna get. They're gonna make some changes. They waited a little longer than I thought they would to actually announce the changes, but they made them. So here you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. We got some uh, new liveries for Air India Express, which I didn't know was a thing, uh, and then Avianca. Both have new liveries. Yeah, um, I like the Air India Express one. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, um, some fun sort of geometric artwork on the tail. Oh, that is nice. Yeah, I like it. Um, so it's that, yeah, um, Avianca has a lowercase a now instead of a capital A. Not, not probably not because they don't want to be associated with capital A, which is the Air Asia's cap, uh, parent company. But speaking of which, did you see the picture of uh, Tony Fernandez getting mm-hmm. massaged during a board meeting? No. He posted on LinkedIn a picture of himself with a caption essentially, feeling pretty stressed going into this you know, meeting, reviewing the finances. Someone suggested I get a massage. Thank goodness we have uh, that available for employees here in the office. And he's sitting there without his shirt on, getting a <laughs> massage, like looking at a computer in a boardroom. It's, un- it's unclear how many other people were in the room, if it was a video call or whatever, but rightfully got excoriated I, for that i hope it was a video call <laughs> i mean yeah, <sighs> yeah that's, that's, that's <laughs> well when you've got terrible numbers this is a good way to distract from that no one's asking questions about the numbers they're all just making you know <laughs> dunking on him for doing this and i, I don't know how bad the air asia uh, or capital a numbers have been lately so i i'm 
part of the problem, I guess. But yeah, he and like just bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Avia, Aviaka, why is it that we just moved to this? And it like the tail just looks like a blob now. Like it's looked that way for a while. Like it's like two lines intersecting and they get darker where they intersect. But then like it's just uh, everything is so blah nowadays. (laughs) Yeah, the the Aviaka one, I'm not as much a fan of as the uh the the Air India Express one. Okay, I'll make this comment about it. I think it's fine. Now, I like the the design on the back, but yeah. again, it's like we've taken this like step of well, it costs a lot to paint the front of the plane, so let's not do that. But let's paint the engines so they can, you know, the nacelles and the winglets so that those can mismatch every time we haven't painted any planes yet. You know, yeah. I, I, it's kind of stupid, but I don't know. It's this white, the white look. Yeah. All I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just I'm a curmudgeon. No, our, our listeners can tell. I don't know we love you though. Um, <laughs> and then Copa has a new breast cancer awareness pink plane just out this month also. So you know, huh. good times. Um, you, sorry, you mentioned you didn't know really about Air India Express. They are basically going to be the short haul operator for the Air India Group, and they're all part of the that's part of the Tata, Vistara, Air India, Air India hmm. Express conglomerate. Yeah. So it's a big deal. It's they sort of separate short haul, long haul. Kind of like Pan Am and feeder airlines yeah, yeah. back in the day to an extent. So that's sort of what's going on there. How does it blend in with Vistara? Since Vistara, isn't Vistara being picked up by Tata Group as well? It is. They're all part of that same group. Now that's got to have to blend. They're going to have to fold it in together, I think. Although how it's going to play out seems to be <laughs> taking some time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would be, I would be a little worried that, I mean, from a Vistara standpoint, it's a different fleet too, right? Like Vistara is mostly yeah. Airbus. So anyway, we're getting off topic, but. Find it interesting. Um, Air France is closing their orderly operations uh, in t- by twenty twenty six. Yeah, so that's exciting. Is this is this a move for some of the green uh, initiatives that are happening in France, or is this Air France looking to simplify their operations? So they're they're uh, saying it's t- it's focused on the uh, the green stuff. They're saying that basically short haul demand. So. I didn't notice this, know this until now. Basically, all of the Air France branded operations at Orly are domestic. Oh. And that includes Reunion, Fort de France, Cayenne, and Pointe de Pitre. So, so not, not short haul. Not necessarily short haul, but domestic. <laughs> um, so uh, it's all that. The Transavia operation, which is, and I say all, I think they also had like Marrakesh. Tunisia and Algiers or something like that, maybe. I looked it up mm-hmm. the other day. Um, it was one or two, maybe. But it was and like some of the islands, uh, Corsica and stuff. But again, almost all domestic stuff. But Transavia has grown to take up all of the international services out of Orly for the group. And that's staying. So basically what my interpretation of this is you're going to see a few long haul, extra long haul stuff move over to Charles de Gaulle. Mm-hmm. And that's probably better for how the feed goes. I mean, will some of the dom- like the domestic short haul stuff? Because I know they serve some things within France out of Orly as well, like Bordeaux or places like that, right? They had some of that. There's fewer mm-hmm. um, now than there were however long ago you want to think compared yeah. to. Yeah, and yeah. Um, it's getting uh, it's getting it's going to get cut even more, right? So that's with the new rules about the train stuff and you can't have nonstop flights, like there was no reason to run those routes anymore. Yeah. The connections were happening on the 
Sir Charles de Gaulle flights, not the Orly flights. Because right, a connecting itinerary, you're allowed to still operate the long, yeah. the short flight. So if those are happening at Charles de Gaulle instead of Orly, like you got to get rid of the flights at Orly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Are we ever going to see Terminal One get knocked down and rebuilt at Orly? I mean, at 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 the goal. Oh, I don't know. We'd lose the bouncy walkways, right? Yeah, I know, but I mean, it's kind of. I mean, that whole terminal is kind of a pain in the butt. <laughs> I'm still like, I knew. I, was, I think I told you this before. Like when we were flying out of there. Summer 22. Oh, I told the driver to take us to T1 because that's where Star Alliance was, and they weren't. They'd moved to T2 for during the pandemic, and it was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, so you you went to T1, and then what did because the traffic was so bad at T2? Yeah, the traffic was terrible. I'm like, well, thank goodness we're going to T1. And then as we started pulling, I'm like, this is closed. What the hell? And like, in my very terrible France French, admitted to the guy I made a mistake, and he had to get back in the route and take the terrible traffic, and gave him 20 extra euros for being an asshole. Is there no way to get between? I thought there was a train. There's, I guess there's it's a train, closed. but I don't know if it was. I didn't know if it was running, and we were running a little late, anyways. I didn't want to risk it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Um, let's see. MEA, uh, which is Middle East Airlines, is moving planes out of Lebanon. Yeah, they've taken a bunch of their fleet from Beirut and relocated it to uh, Istanbul. Just uh, in terms of trying to keep things safe from if there's a ground uh, war or. Mm-hmm airport i mean is has always been a early target for bombings yeah i mean i don't i mean israel's not really interested in lebanon right in this or is are you think they would be because of their involvement from, with hamas there have been skirmishes on the border already yeah so. unfortunate yeah i mean i knew they had hit damascus i think it was damascus the damascus airport yeah. or no maybe it wasn't damascus it was a, it was another airport in syria um rafa maybe i can't remember of the airport. I shouldn't be talking about this. I don't know. Um, I'd seen that they had hit the airport there with uh, some bombs that disab- basically disabled the runway. Couldn't use it. So, um, yeah. When you put them in Turkey, I mean, it kind of ends ops, right? If you're moving planes out of Lebanon. Yeah, it's cert- I don't. I don't think that they're able to use them from there, right? They're not going to like suddenly spin up a new network from Istanbul. Yeah. yeah. They and they have A330s. I mean, they they're decent. Yeah. They're not huge, but they have a decent. Uh, fleet for long haul operations and stuff. So, well, that's kind of crazy. Um, and then Alaska here in the United States is starting Anchorage to JFK and yeah, and to San Diego as well. Anchorage to San Diego next summer, daily flights, Anchorage to JFK once a week on Saturdays to, uh, San Diego, it will be on the max eight. And so this comes as a, they've announced a bunch of new routes slowly, but surely related to the max eight entering the fleet later this year and sort of launching into service heavily next year. Um, but there's a, bu- a bunch of different routes, but yeah, it's going to be the longest route um, that Alaska Airlines has ever operated. <laughs> and what? I mean, I mean, longer than the Seattle to Belize one, which is long. That's a yeah. long flight. <laughs> when you think um, about it. Yeah. What else have they added? There are uh, other routes starting in March. Seattle to Minneapolis, Albuquerque, Las Vegas, Palm Springs, Austin, Burbank, Santa Barbara, Spokane, Portland to Phoenix, Orange County, and Palm Springs. Um, Portland to Phoenix, we have that. Yeah, these are all just routes that are going to see the Max Eight. Oh, gotcha. gotcha. Okay. Okay. Those routes that are going to see the Max Eight. The but yes, the uh, and the yeah the the Anchorage to JFK flight is new. Um, it will now be the longest 737 domestic flight besting. United's by Newark to Anchorage flight by 16 miles. But they have the yeah, and they use and they use a Max 8 as well. They do. Uh, and they use from Houston, which is a little shorter, 
like 150 miles shorter to Anchorage to actually use a uh, NG sometimes or the max, I think. How do you think, I mean, summer winds aren't terrible either way. I mean, right. But it seems like this is like one of those routes where just a slight, a slight issue with winds could cause some headaches for people. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's 3,300 miles, like oh, almost 3,400 miles. Yeah, it's a long trip. The planes rated for it. I guess we'll see if they start sort of blocking capacity westbound. I don't know. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That would worry. Like, if, do they need to block seats or block cargo capacity westbound? Also, that time of the year, I feel like more cargo is like fish and stuff is coming out of Alaska than going in. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, getting getting salmon to New York City faster is always a bit is always a win. How does it um, when you when you think about this route it, as a as a whole? Alaska had their earnings, I think, called just recently. Yeah, they're they're hurting a little bit. Like it's not great. Not great. They made money, but not as much as others. And do you think this kind of plays into some of that? Like, are they looking? They're looking for other places to fly planes because clearly there's a demand kind of imbalance right now, and they're trying to figure out how to fill it and where they need to fly. Yeah, I mean, so. I think one of the challenges, and if you depends on who you listen to, right? Uh, actually, the American earnings call was telling in this regard in some ways, which was same day all, last week, I think, also. Yep. Um, so American technically posted a loss, uh, excluding one-time charges of about a billion dollars. They had a profit, but they had the one-time charges, so um, fine. But on the call, on the American call, there was a lot of questions basically around the lines of, hey, your competitors at Delta and United, who, by the way, made a lot of money, one and a half billion dollars each this past quarter, are saying international is where it's at right now and domestic is fine, but like the yields are not great and you've got way more low cost and ultra low cost competition. What are you doing? And uh, Americans comment, it was uh, Vasu Raja, who's a pretty smart guy, pretty, has mm-hmm. done very well over the you know, couple of year, past few years getting rising in the ranks of Americans, sort of his comment was like, just give us some time, you'll see. We're doing great. We're going to have a 75% domestic, 25% international fleet next year still. That's our goal. That's our plan. We're sticking to it. We think it's going to work out great. Yeah. Um, and that was a little surprising to me hmm. um, in the, in light of where the others seem to be making their money. And then you add on to that, do you take Alaska, who doesn't have the ability to go long haul, right? They can yeah. do Caribbean and Latin America to an extent. But they don't have the fleet for it. And so One World helps and they get the long haul feed. And there's some, they still have their partnership with American on the West Coast for some of the long haul feed. Although American pulled back a little bit at Seattle because they're not going to, they're, I think, uh, London and got scrubbed for the winter out of Seattle. And India's never going to happen as long as Russian airspace is closed. Yeah, yeah. So there's still a lot of challenges there for them to sort of grow and do those things. But they are, as you say, trying to find markets that work. When you have, and there's a lot of new planes coming into the U.S. market at low cost carriers. Spirit's got a bunch of new planes coming, which thank goodness because they got a bunch of broken ones right now. Well, that was a little mess this weekend. Um, they like unscheduled had to put a bunch of planes into maintenance for uh, a 2018 AD check, uh, airworthiness directive check that the family had been missed. Oh, great. Um, oops. So that was weird. Uh, but anyway, um, maybe not missed, but it was seemed unscheduled in the last minute. Yeah, uh, and they canceled 200 flights as a result over the weekend. But anyway, like yeah, like I said, though, like when Spirit and Frontier have hundreds of planes showing up and are still trying, and admittedly also not doing great financially right now because yields are down and domestic travel seems to be suffering at the expense of the international stuff. They they get thrown into the group with American now, and American is you know 
Frontier and Spirited have a ton of Caribbean service. They do a ton into Latin America and they have a ton of domestic flights. Like, how does American compete with that? Oh, and fo- focus so heavily on domestic. That's a real challenge. Yeah. I mean, it, it comes back to, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but it comes back to the question about, does Alaska need to open something further east, like a hub, hublet, whatever you want to call it, to yeah. serve maybe more of the Caribbean, more markets where, like Hawaii is great and they serve Hawaii from pretty much everywhere you can on the West Coast. But like, do they need to serve more Caribbean stuff and offer connecting feed via Nashville or St. Louis? I don't know. Somewhere. Louisville. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think the challenge there is there's not a, you can't win only on the Caribbean. Yeah. And where do you put a hub that is sufficiently close that you get good stage lines? You can, you know, one of the, the nice thing about doing it from most of the Caribbean from Miami and Orlando is same day turns. Yeah. In most cases, your crew, your pilots even still can do a same day turn and you're not stuck leaving people down there. Um, And I, I don't, and I don't know how viable and that's the other thing, too, is like if you're trying to serve the West Coast to the Caribbean, I don't know that the load necessity is there. Like, oh, no, that's you know that's what I mean? This has to be in. So yeah. so then you have to take you have to build up a network in mm-hmm. the central central and eastern United States to feed the Caribbean markets. And yep. again, I think the Caribbean and Mexico isn't big enough and doesn't have enough spare demand to mm-hmm. I mean, heck, we've even seen. Some people saying they think Florida might be starting to finally see what saturated demand looks like, which I thought wasn't possible. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's there's always Canada, I guess. You know, that is one place where Alaska doesn't serve much, right? Canada at all. Does it go at all? I'd say, I guess not. Vancouver. I mean, they serve okay, Vancouver. Okay. They serve Calgary. Um, they may serve Edmonton. I'm not, I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, uh, so Canada is a very different market. The operating costs there are high. Mm-hmm. Labor costs are high on the ground, landing fees are high, and the uh, forced, forced is a relative term, but the cost to operate in, uh, like, departure taxes are high. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it's a big deal when JetBlue finally added its Vancouver service, for example. But it's uh, one of those things where I think it's probably more a challenge of, um, sorry, I'm trying to find where they fly from. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um it's really uh, a challenging fi- market financially. You can't even the low cost carriers there and the, the ultra low cost carriers there, fares aren't that that cheap. Yeah, like so you're talking about like Flair and all those. Yeah. Um. So, what do we got here? We got Edmonton, Vancouver, Calgary, and uh, Victoria to Seattle, and Vancouver to Portland for this yeah. month. Yeah. So five routes. Yeah, it's not a lot. I mean, and it, it's more than nothing. Yeah, I I do think. They, they've got to figure something out because maybe maybe they go point to point, right? They they kind of focus on a more point to point network. I mean, they were starting to do that with with Boise, yeah, um, and kind of fly some random routes out of Boise. Same thing with San Diego, like they were starting to fly Austin to San Diego, and yeah. some of that was to feed Hawaii, I think. Um, but maybe maybe they just got to do more of that and and figure out what works. Maybe maybe a little a uh, little mini hub in Bozeman for the summer months or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think it's, you definitely have to do it as a seasonal thing. It's it's a weird. They've got, they've got a challenge of where do you try to grow? Yep. Um, lastly, Air Greenland is starting a route that I had kind of secretly always hoped for and uh, never saw it. And now it, now it exists. Nook to Iqualit, Canada. Yeah. Uh, it launches the day after our anniversary, and my wife has told me that she would very much like that as an anniversary present. Oh, well, it, the, the table has been set, my friend. Yeah. I think I've figured out how to get there. Um, 
This is, yeah, a dash eight across the Arctic. That's it's kind of hilarious. But yeah, transatlantic on a, it's technically transatlantic on a dash eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nonstop. <laughs> how long of a how long of a flight is that? It's about two and a half hours. It's not bad. It's not no. terrible. It's not great. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I I like this. Um, up here, seventeen hundred fifty-five miles. Nope, I got the that's wrong. A little airport. long of a flight. It's the wrong airport code. Hang on. Nope, that's also the wrong airport code. I used to know what it was. Um, YFB. YFB. Yeah. Okay. YFB. Yeah. yeah. Five five hundred miles. Okay, so that's not bad at all. I'm thirteen. Um, and then you got to get from Ikalit back down to the rest of the world, which is uh, Air North flies it daily. Yeah. There you go. Sounds like a great trip. It does. They're actually uh they're an Air Canada partner, so there's actually redemption options. I can't get the timing to line up. It's it's a very expensive oh. ticket for cash. So we might just spend three extra days in Ikalit, or I don't know. I mean, I, I guess the other thing about this is it's not a even if I did the eastbound inaugural, it's not a red eye. <laughs> yeah, like what time is it supposed to get into uh, Nook? Uh, let me see if I have if they have it. It will depart. Uh, it will depart from Nook at 15.30, so 3.30 in the afternoon. There's a two-hour time difference with a two-hour flight. You land at 3.30 local, so let's assume it takes off an hour later, hour and a half later at 5 o'clock, which is 7 o'clock, 8, 9. So you land in Nook at like 9, 9.30, 9 o'clock at night. So that's, I mean, I'd say it'd be dark out, but it's going to be the summer, so it won't, because it'll never be dark in Nook in the summer. Yep. Um, yeah. And they're going to uh, have an interline agreement eventually. So starting next year, you'll also be able to buy a straight through flight to Ottawa. Our connection with the with the connection. Um, I, yeah, I got to figure out if we can come up with a couple of days. Like when I looked initially, the only award space I could find was on Monday, and this flight was on Wednesday. Which thanks, guys. Um, not helpful, <laughs> but we'll see what I can do. But yeah, we were talking about a couple of days in and none, uh, none of it. A couple of days in Greenland, and then somewhere else. I mean, it sounds like fun. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's a cool flight. I mean, I think it makes. I think people have been waiting for this, from what I've read. Like, there's been people who have family in Greenland who want to visit. Yeah, you know, and they can't. I mean, it's it's very it, Greenland is not an easily reachable place. Yeah, no, you basically got to go back to Copenhagen. Yep. and then around. Yep. So it's I think it's good news for for folks. And I mean, on a dash eight, I can't imagine they'll have problem with the loads. <laughs> so yeah, and it's once a week. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be fine. Yeah, I I didn't realize how small of an airport Nook is. Like the runway is itty bitty. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun to watch. Uh oh, and lastly, did you see this story uh or this video of a JetBlue plane an a three twenty one uh on its tail from Barbados? Yep, it tipped up. Uh, so we've seen it usually on more often it has happened previously on the 737-900ER. It gets yep. tail heavy when passengers start to leave before they get bags off. Yep. Um, There's either a lot of cargo or a lot of heavy bags on this flight in from Barbados. Passengers up front got off and yoink! <laughs> we don't know how much damage was done either yet. Like it's a joke that'll buff right out. This They'll be able to fix this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Um, well, to our Listeners, thank you for listening to the show. We're going to talk about uh, some some more Boeing news and how they're pumping some cash into different companies in the bonus topics. Uh, United and um, Aer Lingus uh, having a code share death, I guess. Um, and then Hawaiian and United fighting over Haneda. Uh, Delta doing some stuff with live television. And uh, yeah, first 321neo for our United Airline 
friends. Um, so stick around if you're a Patreon subscriber. That's for our Patreon subscribers. Uh, we have some new Patreon subscribers. Drew, Susan O, Matt B, thank you for supporting the show. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Happy travels. Take care.